Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite review. Mm. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture. Michael Amplot, Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but now pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and they round up the week complete. Everybody a quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's show. And Sidg, what did you make of Monday Night Raw? <laughs> Predictably, I hated this. I, I honestly, oh god, this is going to go long. I hated this goddamn show. Three things. Here's the first thing. I've often said, right, that because I'm based in the UK and I've got two kids, I have to get up at stupid a goddamn clock yeah. to watch every wrestling show that I review and preview throughout the week. With AEW, because I ordinarily love it, I do four till six. Because mercifully, right now, the kids don't wake up before six. They just don't. So that's great. That means I can watch the whole thing uninterrupted. I don't like WWE anywhere nearly as much, <laughs> and I can't be getting up at 4 a.m. every single day, so I refuse to give them the same, same courtesy. Even for a three-hour show, I'll get up at about 20 past half five, watch as much of it as I can, and then, like, as I'm making a cup of tea after the kids are awake, or making their breakfast, I'll just watch it on my phone. Like, mm -hmm. sometimes absent-mindedly, but what? It's not as if anything happens like on the that first. thing that airs before view films, where they're like, don't watch films like this. It's like all the ways that they advise you not to watch a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. how you indulge in WWE. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're making a piece of toast, hanging out your mouth. Oh, somebody's distracting you. Give it's it not as if the crowd are going to do anything for the first 10 minutes of any matches. So you can watch it absent-mindedly. <laughs> yeah. absent I would love... Not to go to America just to watch a live AEW show, which I still would love to do, obviously. I would like to go to America, have three or four days to adjust to the time difference and feel like, oh, this is my life now for the next week or two. And then just watch it on telly in a nice <laughs> house at the normal time. Yeah. Just to see if it hits any different or if I'm not like, if I catch anything else or if it's just the experience, how it's meant to be watched. Um, if I was doing that, I would just switch, I would have switched this off. If I wasn't getting paid 
to review this, I would have just switched this off. So I'm not doing this. I might like read the reviews and see if like Bandido and Jericho was great, and it was. Yeah, but I'm, I can't be asked. This is rubbish, right? If AEW does a string of shows this bad, right, I will not get up at four a.m. to watch it anymore. That won't bother. Like, what's what a waste of my time? I'm knackered. Every like, Thursday nights in my life are just complete write-offs. I go to bed at nine o'clock. Um, don't play a game. Don't watch a series with her wife. Don't listen to any music. Um, I don't do now on a Thursday. It's just, that's it. I've sacrificed. My free time is on the Thursday morning at stupid o'clock. Yeah. If they continue to do a string of shows like this, I will simply won't do that anymore. I'm just not doing it. This is rubbish. And a third thing as well. Yeah, I was watching this thinking, is this literally the worst dynamite I've ever seen? Certainly, it's the worst mood it's put me in. Two reasons that people, the mega fans, the long-term ones, will know exactly what put me in this yeah. mood. And I'm thinking, right, there was one episode between Double or Nothing and uh, the return to live touring last year where they did a few terrible shows at Daly's Place, one of which was, and I think this happened on the same show, Mark Henry gets, a debuting Mark Henry gets interrupted by Vicky Guerrero, who introduces a debuting Andrade, just the worst botched debut ever, and I think that was on the same show where Dr. Britt Baker, because she likes McDonald's, decided to have a McDonald's theme celebration. It was just the worst. It was the worst. And Nyla Rose is a challenger. That one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm thinking throughout, well, this is worse. This is honestly worse because the magic is kind of gone where the magic was there last time. And then Bandido saved it. Yeah. And Chris Jericho saved it. I had such a miserable time watching this. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I was watching this stunned at what they were doing. And by the way... This is the reason why when they make a misstep in previous Dynamites, we call that out because we can see where it's heading. That's why we do, you know, when people say, oh, you're being too harsh and whatever. And yes, we hold it to a, we hold it to a higher standard than a lot of WWE shows because, and it's, you know, you, I'm doing a, 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 an article, or voicing an article that you've written talking about how IAW is the most hyper-scrutinized promotion there's ever been. And yes, we are a part of that, but because we want it to maintain these levels that we know it can can do. I completely agree with that, and I'm sorry, Hamlet. I will give you a chance to talk at some point. <laughs> There's one more thing before I forget. I had a load of replies saying that, do you not think the hurricane affected things? To an extent, if certain performances were off, and people who are in Florida, or have mates in Florida, or family in Florida, and Florida's like the nucleus of professional wrestling yeah. in America... I could, if someone like had a bad night in the ring, I'd say, right, okay, yeah, you're, you're absent-minded or whatever. It's not as if the entire show, as advertised days ago, didn't happen. Mm. It did. You kind of blame this for me. You just can't blame it. Yeah, it's, it, you know, stuff may have had to be slightly tweaked or whatever. I think Joe didn't go, neither did Swerve, and obviously that's quite right, and we, we hope everyone... Yeah, I hope they're fine, but it's a 15-second backstage segment. Yeah, exactly. Um but I feel I should apologise. I may have been a bit hyperbolic in my introduction, uh, comparing Dynamite to Raw, because Raw was good. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I agree with that. Raw was better this week. Yeah, Raw was better. So, I, like, the uh, the whatculture.com forward slash WWE readers will forgive me, because I'm going to use this as a plug to say that I've just finished ups and downs, so a lot of what you hear in this podcast might just be repetition of the takes. If you read those things, that sort of happens when me and Sidgwick do do cover for Andy Murray for the article. Um, and I'm just going to expand briefly on what I was mentioning in the intro to that, because... We talk about consistency on this podcast. I think it's reasonable to say that I've been fairly consistent in not giving Tony Khan many free passes over the last few years over what I would expect from him in this. Give Triple H them, but not Tony. <laughs> 
it's something to do with the standards, I think. But yes, like my lower expectations for WWE yes. versus on much higher yes. ones. It's yeah, extended yeah. the men as well. Raise them. But carry on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think, like, oh, and I said this in the office as well, and there was nowhere else for it to feature in the content. It was kind of, it, it didn't go unreported that Tony Khan did what he did by telling people not to bother with AEW if the, the hurricane was affecting you. That didn't go unreported because he put it out there on Twitter. Probably as a bit of PR, but also as a way to make sure the message was out there. It went unreported how big a deal that is, in my opinion. A wrestling promoter saying, don't make the town, is enormous. That's like, here's a contract and a pension, mate. That's like sort of like hundreds of years of precedence, mm. and Vince McMahon's gaslighting has removed that single line that changes the entire complexion of a wrestler's career. Just don't make the town. Like, if you're hurt, or if, you know, there's a reason why you can't do this incredibly physically and emotionally demanding job, for one week, don't do it. That's game-changing stuff. Wrestling didn't stop during a pandemic. Yeah. Wrestling never stops, and this week he made a choice to say the show can stop. Now, Sid is right, a lot of that card, well, all the card that was advertised took place as advertised. And the point about Swerve being missing and Joe being missing, I think, for me, a little bit misses the point of why that was such a big deal and why it impacted the quality of the show. Like, here I am making excuses before we get started. Um, I don't think it's, well, Swerve wasn't there, so he wasn't present for a five-second backstage segment. Mm. I think it was... Tony Khan as a booker or everybody else involved in the creative mix didn't want to commit to certain things without knowing what they'd have on because of course it's not just dynamite it's, it's the rampage yeah. taping as well so one has a knock-on effect on the other and it's like well what are we going to do this week is so-and-so going to make it well we're not going to know till eight hours before showtime well should we just not feature them at all is um like his son how so-and-so's family well we're not sure yet well should we just ignore them this week and we'll get back to normal business next week so it's not just what was Featured or not featured from the card, it was maybe how it inf- like impacted the decision making. And you've got two TV shows and a week's worth of booking. When realistically, you can just this was a bit of a should we just try and get through this because things will be back to normal next week. It's not a catch-all excuse, and I don't no. want that to scan as completely generous because I think a lot of things like underdelivered here, and they had all the tools to get it right. But I do think in terms of like the heads at play here and thinking about how you put all this together, I think more was impacted than just what we actually saw. And that is as a result of, in my opinion, an extremely good thing that he did that I hope is something that is passed on. Like, haven't WWE just said they're going to give, like, public holidays as actual holidays? And everybody's minds are blown. And it's like, that should have just been there all along. Like, wrestling has forever needed to make changes like this. And I genuinely applaud Tony Khan for a good one, even if I think we've kind of seen why historically wrestling hasn't done that because bookers have to just think well he's going to be there i don't care if he's like putting his dan o'brien talking about putting tights on in the taxi going to an roh show like that sort of stuff needs to go so like there's a huge bigger picture impact that's something like but we have eaten a lot of shit for a rubbish dynamite here so i don't know maybe that is generous i don't know it is generous the two most (laughs) egregious things by some distance on this show were the things that he promoted the earliest and he at least had the idea like, what, five, six, seven days ago, possibly even longer when he was negotiating with Serena and what to do, yeah. what she can do. Very little excuses for me. Uh, Very few. That one, obviously, we're going to dig into, but there was a certain element, especially with the celebration, because we talked about this. They come up with this thing because Jericho loves this stuff. They promote it before the end of last week's Dynamite, and then a match happens instead, and you're like, have you kind of forgotten that you've already promoted something? When the TNT, the beautiful original TNT title belt was revealed, it was this lovely, sweet, oh, the shops are shut, we can't get the belt finished. And that's like, that's an arm around the shoulder moment, isn't it? It's like, you know what, we love that for what it is rather than what it isn't. Yeah. Shops are open now, buy some more props for the Jericho celebration. Like, what's, how's that, how's that look so crap? How's that whole thing so rubbish? Other than the amazing suits, how's it so lame? Like, did you forget about it and then forget to go back to it? So yeah, I'm not saying it's a catch-all for everything. Yeah. But, you, like, 
it can't be this bad next week or the week after or whatever if you want a good run to full gear. Yeah, let's talk about this show because it started, as you mentioned, with the Jericho Ojo celebration. Still over. I still like that. I dislike the show. I still like the Ojo. Um, <laughs> come, uh, on, come on, guys. Uh, out come the... Uh, in another language. Out come the JAS. No JK, but they come to the ring. They've got matching purple outfits. There's balloons, flowers, gift. Um, there's Luigi Primo, who I was like... Well, I didn't expect to see you here after uh, your Reddit AMA, if I'm perfectly honest. But he's there tossing pizza for everyone, uh, and they get on the uh, they get on the stick. He booked him, Jericho's wife. Angelo Parker calls Philadelphia losers, but finally tonight they can have something to celebrate. The Ocho, uh, Daddy Magic, no. this is Christ man, <laughs> Daddy Magic is the one who put the call in for uh, Luigi Primo, uh, who did get a big reaction. Uh, then he said his pizza was for New York. So that got the reaction you expect. Anna Jay, <laughs> God, you don't get any pizza. You know, like I'm a joke you out. Uh, she says, but what you do get instead is the greatest Ring of Honor champion of all time, Chris Jericho. He, uh, he gets the mic, calls himself the most honorable man, the most watched champion in Ring of Honor history. He calls this era the Ring of Jericho. Uh, and tonight, Bandido is going to get the rematch for the Ring of Honor title that he was never granted. He puts over Daniel Garcia and then reveals he's got him a gift and it is, of course, a purple bucket hat. He uh, takes it out of the box, plonks it on Garcia's head, and says Garcia is the best technical sports entertainer of all time. Garcia, you can tell, he's not feeling the celebration. He's definitely not feeling the hat either. He takes it off, the crowd cheers, he chucks it, he punches Primo. He says, this is enough. This isn't me. This, is what I, this isn't what I envisage for myself. I've tolerated this, but I've had enough. I've got to tell you something, Chris. I've got to tell you something that I've been meaning to tell you and to get off my chest for a long time. It's time for me to, before we can go any further, Jericho covers the mic, pushes it away. He says, Daniel, really think about what you're going to say about right now. This is a crossroads for you. Make the right decision. I'm only going to ask you once. Are you a sports entertainer or are you a pro wrestler? And before he can answer, Brian Danielson's music hits. He comes down. Uh, and he says, Jericho, I think you're telling Daniel Garcia what he thinks he should be. Like, I've got tons of respect for you, Daniel. You're a grown man. You can do whatever you want. If you want to stay in the JS, you can. You want to join the Blackpool Cuckold Club, uh, Blackpool Combat Club, you can. You want to train, team, anything like that, you can do what you want. And Jericho, of course, is pissed off by this. Uh, he says, shut your mouth, Danielson. Sick of you trying to poach my guy. Daniel Garcia belongs to me. Oh, dear. Daniel Garcia is not having that. He grabs the mic. He says, I want to clear this up right now. I don't belong to you, Chris. And I, I've, it's, I'm going to do nothing. I'm not going to do anything that you tell me to do. But, hey, let's not get too serious, guys. Isn't this supposed to be entertaining? What if I uh, toss some pizza into the crowd? What if I wake up Luigi Primo? What if me and Justin Roberts become a tag team? What if I tag with, I don't know, Brian Danielson? He's bad for that. What if I make a lumberjack match? <laughs> not yet. Uh, and he turns to Jericho and says, yeah, that'd be pretty entertaining if it was me and Danielson versus you and Sammy. Um, and Matt Menard's had enough at this point. Daddy Magic says, we are sick of your crap. For a year, me and Cool Ange had your back and you want to spit in our face uh, and turn your back on us for this piece of crap right here. I'm going to punch you in the face right now. And uh, Brian says, oh, you want to do that? You want to do that right now? Well, I've got some good news uh, you can, I was told back there that I could have a match with anyone that wants to fight. 
Uh, and well. Matt Menard said he wants to. So why don't we do the entertainer daddy magic versus the heart of professional wrestling right now? Oh, my God. Sorry, you can't be a pervert on these podcasts anymore. Cedric hasn't got a pen to drop because he's just crushed it in his hand as the grip got tighter and tighter as the fist got clenched. Let me say some nice things first. I thought Daniel Garcia showed tremendous co- tremendous comic timing and a bit of charisma and real personality throughout this segment as much as I thought it was cursed. <laughs> the way he just lunged at Primo was fantastic. The line, what if I wake him up, was fantastic. I came out of this thinking significantly worse of Tony Khan, but better of Daniel Garcia. Yes. Right. I hate so much, right, at the minute, this JAS thing. I like the idea of just lessening it in importance away from the main event scene, doing stuff with Ring of Honor because there's a real philosophy clash yeah. there. Because the philosophy clash between um, sports entertainment and Ring of Honor, but there is absolutely not a sports entertainment philosophy clash between AEW and WWE anymore. Mm. There just isn't. I'm finally getting the penny dropped after this week's episode, which I hope's an aberration. I really hope it is, but my God. When um, Kulhan Ange said, hello, AEW Galaxy, appreciate us. Like, this is, I've never been of the opinion that this is all very TNA. It's so TNA now. This is so unbelievably... Felt different after the Sammy one, didn't it? It was like, hang on, the other thing's like really mega up. Yeah, it's and great. And the parody's lame. This, this, that's the, that's the wrong way around. The like. Sammy Zane thing is incredible. There's no one who's in... As long as I can remember, over the last recent months, there's no one that's emotionally pulled me into a storyline as much as Sammy Zayn has. So to take the piss out of that as part of your broader sports entertainment parody just felt so TNA. It positively reeked of TNA. So I didn't like that. The suits were funny. (laughs) This went a bit long. The idea that Garcia only has these feelings in front of live TV, that's wrestling for you, but it is a bit contrived. There's two things that really annoyed me about the impromptu match, right? Danielson's line reading was so, oh, so you want a match then? (laughs) I thought, oh, good, they're parodying that. Because I wanted him to then say something to the effect of dot dot dot. You need a contract. You can't just. Why would you ever do it right now, you idiot? Like you need to be cleared. You need to be a doctor scene. You need to be cleared to compete. All these things that in my stupid old pedantic head that's no longer relevant. I like to think <laughs> happen yes. to make this feel like a really logical, believable broadcast. Yeah, that's out the window because they had an impromptu match, and it was the worst Danielson match since he got here as well. It was so drab and so nothing. You know what really annoyed me about this impromptu match? And yes. I acknowledge that they kind of explained of, oh, it's going to come out. He said it in as many words of, oh, it's going to come out later and issue an open challenge, but while I'm here sort of thing. Um, I was going to do it in the next segment, in fact, conveniently enough. It's still taking the piss for me. It's still taking the piss. It's still, yes, I know I'm very, very pedantic, and I need to touch grace mm. or something like that. But the idea of, they need to, like, sign open contracts and, you know, the liabilities and all the rest of it. It's just, come on, Mike, New Japan don't do this. Giant Baba didn't do this. Come on, just switch on, man. Switch on, Tony. Your young prodigy has just left the stable, right? Come on, Mid-South Tony. Beat the f***ing shit out of him <laughs> with your heel gang of dickheads. That's pro wrestling, right? Mm. Why not just 
kind of disappear off camera up the ramp and go backstage, and then the match happens. Like Jericho, like they're having the match next week with Jericho and Sammy versus Danielson and Garcia. Chris Jericho, and they were outnumbering Danielson and Garcia here, beat them up. Beat down, gang beat down. A, a, a betrayal has just happened. Sell that. No, no, what we'll do instead is we'll just each go our separate ways up the ramp and then the match will happen. What? Yeah. I I was so like polite and stilted and fake. Yeah, even they did something worse than an impromptu match here. Well, do you know what I like less? I like this less when the graphic of the match flashed up. Because I thought it was like an, a tease of a match rather than just a virtual. Like this turned out. To be the announcement, like yeah. the setup for the announcement of the tag match, rather than just basically making real what a lot of us have speculated on for a while, which would have been one thing. Like, if you still have this idea that Garcia's got a bit of a choice to make, and then you're booking Brian Danison and Chris Jericho, and then you're going back to that whose side is he on thing, fine. We've done it a bit, but fine. Like, there's may- maybe this time he reveals which side he's on. But then they just give you the graphic. So, yeah, like, am I, not, am I supposed to take this that, well... That's the match then. That's not not that there's still a turn to come. There obviously is still more twists in this story. But they, what we saw was actually way more significant than what actually registered, which was just a little bit of chat. I'm trying again. Like maybe I'm being too kind here. This was this was the kind of thick that we give WWE criticism for for more than just the impromptu point. The impromptu match thing, right? Just like I don't need to ever speak on Cedric's behalf, but the macro problem with all of this is exactly what followed. A heatless match where fans had no reason to invest because the whole setup felt fake, right? And if you do this so often, the whole show feels fake and it's incredibly hard, as we're finding, as we probably will find with Triple H for months and years to come, it's incredibly hard to squeeze that toothpaste back into the tube because you've accepted that all of this is fake. Either you cannot go down this road of making it all feel fake, otherwise it will all feel fake. It's not just one match and one moment, it's the whole thing, right? The whole thing falls apart because the edges are always fraying and you just, the whole point is just don't pull it. You know, the Daniel Garcia thing pulls it enough. Couldn't you just said something to me in the last seven days? No, I'm waiting till tonight. But thanks for the suit. But I'm like, you know, th- I enjoyed the hat's the, too far. I enjoyed the dance routine on the stage, but the hat is too far. You know, it's that's all really silly. But we can accept that until you make it too hard to accept any of that. The um, the idea of Daniel Garcia about to make this big Jericho saying don't do it, which is cool because he's not stupid. He is watching his own life happen, and he too knows that all is not rosy. And he puts the mic down. I thought that was quite impressive that they actually went down that route of Jericho not being this idiot that has no idea that the the change is happening in Garcia. Garcia is about to deliver this big line, this big answer, this big moment. And then he's interrupted by Brighton, who comes out and says, you don't need to pledge your allegiance to me or him, like to be the good guy, basically be the, the Reddit nice guy in this situation. Because while he's saying, you don't need to do... Well, you do whatever you want, mate. You do it. Well, why didn't you just let him rather than interrupting him? Yeah. Five seconds. That was weird as well. Contrived. But is that going to be a storyline device as to why Garcia turns on Brian, sticks with Jericho, and says, I, I thought you wanted what was best for me, but you were still talking over me just like everybody else. If anyone's going to talk over me, it's the guy that saved my life in a car crash and six more months of sports entertainment, whatever. Like, is that going to... Is that going to be a storyline device rather than fake, contrived nonsense? Because he interrupted him mid-flow. Which, by Not the way... For the first time. Yeah. Like, was... Like, the, the stuff was all right, but, like, it was... Again, it, it is a standards thing because I am more patient of it in WWE and that, that's on me or it's on what I'm just expecting from the two things. Like, this was so ham-fisted and loaded with exposition as well. Jesus, ham <laughs> <laughs> Like, for, the, for these wrestlers and for the expectations I have of a Chris Jericho who, like, I always put him over the festival of friendship with the thing Triple H didn't want to have play out as the way it did. 
this felt like they were giving way too much through the dialogue that they didn't need to give at this point. Um, and yeah, I'm just maybe I'm just trying to like make excuses for that interruption because that was another thing I was like, well, you can't now say that you're on his side when you've just actually stopped him mid-thought mm. and mid-flow. So that was, it was all really, really forced and fake, this. Inherently, it's kind of impossible to do what we do, even though it's an incredibly dreamlike job that we are privileged to have, but we are reviewing episodic television that never ends. So you can't ever review a finale and say, right, okay, well, all of it was crap and we knew it all along. Like, there's no end point, so mm. you do, in fact, have to let it play out. But even if it plays out to a better direction, this chapter of the journey was risible. You saw it harm the match that followed. Yeah. Like, the, the evidence of the problem was right there afterwards. Yeah, the match that followed was Danny Magic versus Brian Danielson. I thought William Regal says he doesn't listen to anything or read anything non outside of wrestling. Oh, sorry, no, in wrestling. I mm. thought he just he just talks to people backstage. That's yeah. bollocks, isn't it? Because he doesn't do the whole... Snap, crackling, on commentary without listening to this podcast. Correct. He's looking at the charts. He's going, they're, they're the guys. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but he uh, he's oh, weird towards oh, Gallagher again. Seeing where his podcast is at the moment, he's not looking at our bit of the charts. <laughs> so, Danielson controls <laughs> the action. Nothing but respect to all the great matches. Sorry. Disclaimer. Danielson controls the action early. Uh, Menard takes over uh, on the outside during the break. Uh, then Danielson comes back. Moonsaults out the corner. Multiple charging knees in the corner. Kicks to the chest. He's dominating him. Uh, so much so that uh, Coolhan and Angelo Parker grabs Matt Menard, drags him out to save him from the home run kick. Um, and uh, this obviously distracts Danielson. He keeps keeps trying to go for stuff and Matt Menard's just not there because his partner keeps pulling him out of the way. Um, this, you know, he fires up on Angelo Parker and this allows Matt Menard to recover and he crotches Danielson on the post. Parker even hits a DDT as the referee's not looking. Um, Danielson kicks out a two back inside and Claudio Castagnoli says, I've had enough of this, runs down to the ring. I thought he was just going to lay out Parker. What he did was literally carry him to the back, not knock him out and carry him. Parker's still flailing and Claudio's just like, no, you go with me. <laughs> Like, that's enough playtime for you. Through the back we go. Uh, Danielson ducks a lariat, hits the Busaiku knee. LaBelle Lock gets the submission victory for him. What a nothing match. Like, this is the worst Brian Danielson match I've seen since NXT in 2010. <laughs> and, you know, I really rate Daddy Magic. Um, he's a tag guy. He's in, like a prelim undercard heel. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be shouting for a singles run after this. If you kind of do something magic with... Brian goddamn Danielson of all people. Look, I understand the story of the match was it would be offensive almost to treat the kind of character that Daddy Magic plays, which is brilliant, as anywhere near Danielson's level, so he needed the help from the tag team partner. So it was very... Uh, it's a referee not just saying, oh, I've, I'm not an idiot. I've been told not to be an idiot, in fact, last week, uh, <laughs> which wasn't very long ago. There's a hint of outside, <laughs> there's a hint of outside interference here. You know what, just get out. I've been kind of told to do my job a bit better. Then he still got heel chicanery and my uh, I'm sick of this. I'm absolutely sick of this. I'm getting I'm getting one hour later next week. I'm telling you, it's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of worst case scenario when you have to say the line of a Daniel Bryan match like the best stuff was happening on the outside. The like the physical interaction between Cool Hanange and Claudio like actually popped me the way he slid across that rig and then just got absolutely chucked by Cesaro's uppercut and then carried like the physical carrying away. I think he lost one of his shoes. Like the, fl <laughs> the flailing was great. Like, thank you for that distraction from something that was borderline drab crap in the ring. Appreciate it. Like, like love Diesel, love Nash, but like every now and then, like Shawn Michaels running interference was like so eye-catching that you couldn't turn yourself away from it. This was that, but it's like, 
Brian Danielson's in the yeah. ring. Jesus Christ, how have you done that? So yeah, that was really fun, but the match was not. Uh, we get a couple of videos, uh, one hyping up Moxley and Juice Robinson, uh, a lot of stuff that was featured on the road too, which was great, made Juice Robinson feel like a legitimate threat to, to Moxley and, and his title, or at least, you know, to get a title shot, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then we see the recap of <laughs> Wheeler Uten getting ethered by uh, MJF the previous week, and we're, bent, we're meant to just be about to hear from Maxwell Jacob Friedman, but Wheeler Uta storms down to the ring and grabs a mic and says, look, I don't have a problem about what... You know, MJF and his lackey did last week. But I do have a problem with people laying hands and laying out Tony Schiavone. That crosses a line. He says, look, actions have consequences. And what better punishment than for MJF to come down and fight me in my city? He says, look, I'm sorry, Philly. We all know MJF likes to run and hide behind things. The inner circle, the pinnacle, the firm, his suit, his tan, the mic because he knows that when the bell rings, he can't hang with me. He sort of goes over a lot of cliche city insults that he could probably drop and says, look, right, now I've done all that. Let's skip to the part, MJF, where you and I fight and you get the ass kicking you deserve. Out comes MJF. He says, uh, well, there you go, Wheeler, you from Philadelphia. The place where you live if you can't afford to live in New York. <laughs> um, feel bad for what I'm about to say. But the Wilborn household, and I said probably the Dudley boys households, had a huge bib when he said, uh, hey, Tony Schiavone, how are you doing, you fat old prick? <laughs> and he, but he does put over Wheelie Uta here. He says, look, you know, you and I have wrestled a lot on the indies, blah, blah, blah. He puts him over, um, but unfortunately he had to spank him on the microphone last week. He says, uh, you, you've got as much charisma as Joe Frazier present day. By the way, Joe Frazier's dead. <laughs> Speaking of dead, Phillies are dead in the water as well. MJF doesn't give up. You know what? Um, he's you know he's he's 26 years old. Uh, he makes more money than in this in uh, this bum town uh, than us watching at home. He's a multi-millionaire, and he says, like, "I don't care about your money. I don't care about your scarf. I don't care about you wearing the Mets jersey." He was wearing a Mets jersey. I didn't mention that. Um, if you, if, uh, if you don't want to fight in this ring, I like this line. I will leave you in a pool of blood on Broad Street. Um, you may not know this, MJF, but bad things happen in Philly, and tonight is no exception. And you would start storming up the ramp towards MJF. Uh, but MJF, whoa, whoa, easy there, cheapest kids. Uh, that's a different promo he cut. Um, he gets out some of his guys, his hired help, his mercenaries, members of the firm. The Ash Boys are there. Uh, you uh, um, says, I want you one on one. MJF goes, like, Now, nah, look. Look at the numbers game. You're going to get your head kicked in. Uh, if you want to wrestle, too bad. <laughs> I'm going to go sit in my skybox and chill. Um, you can wrestle me next week in the dump wash that is Washington. Uh, and he goes to his catchphrase and says, actually, no, you don't even deserve to hear it from me. And he lets Austin Gunn do the whole, I'm better than you. And you know it. This is by far the best book stuff on the entire show. Not the highlight. That was the main event. But the actual best book stuff yeah. where I got that elusive feeling of, Oh, it's not all completely dead yet. There's still an identity to this company. There's still a lot of thought that goes into the angles. And if you look at it across the last two weeks, what they've done, whereas last week's felt like a mistake, in fact, they've crafted this incredible illusion. Not that it needs crafting on the part of MGF because he's incredibly over everywhere. But what you've done is you've done a two-week build leading to a match on week three. And what you've done, or what Tony Khan has done and MGF and Wheeler Eater have done, is that you presented both guys and their hometowns are very close to it, so they're received as the most biggest, like, 
act yeah. on the show, pretty much, or one of, in the case of Wheeler Utah. So you get booming reaction in New York. You get another booming reaction in Philadelphia, which they must have known was coming, hence why they allowed Utah to get ethered. And then you get this really great, um, what I would call peak dynamite brawl later on mm. in the show, which we'll get to and I'll rave about when we get to it. Uh, so it just feels hot because of the geographical, um, like, slotting, if you like, of when these promos have taken place. Yuta is still a bit... He's nothing if not natural, right? I believe what he's saying, even if I kind of cringe a little bit at the same time. Um, you know what, though? Like, judging by tonight, he's probably going to get some pubes in about three months. So <laughs> he might be able to cut a better promo then. It's still funny to this day when your mate saying something, even with 30-odd 30, 30 years old, your mate says, oh, and the voice goes, oh, oh, that's it, you leap all over it. <laughs> hey, your ball's not dropped, mate. Your <laughs> ball's not dropped. Yeah, the, um, I, I like this. I like this as it was happening. I liked it more after the follow-up segment later yes. on in the show. Like, a good one to this. Um, yeah, I thought I watched it and thought, oh, really, you, it's been made to be like a beautiful bitch there again. <laughs> and then they absolutely let it play out sometimes. MJF last week was... You know, he'd drawn comparisons to The Rock from Dave Meltzer, which sent everybody on Twitter a little bit wild. And then he drew more comparisons to The Rock last week in that Wheelie would, was compared to Billy Gunn in terms of how much that promo was one-sided. What The Rock didn't do very often was show much ass. And MJF did here. And I thought he was actually quite selfless. He's very clever. Yeah. And he deserves a lot of credit, I think, not just for obviously what he does, but sometimes what he allows others to do at his expense as a heel. He probably doesn't get enough praise for how good he is at kind of the old-fashioned looking like a weak link when you absolutely need to because he's so good and he generates all the conversation when he speaks. But I thought his reactions to Willie Uta here did so much for Uta's lines, some of the ones that may not have hit hard otherwise. And for a character like MJF, that's a hard balance to strike because you've got to be gotten to sometimes, but if you've gotten to too much, nobody takes you seriously when you're absolutely ethering somebody. So it's a very tight rope that he walks and he walks it really well. Um, so yeah, this was a, a good night for the feud um, a great night for Willie Uta and MJF always has. He ne MJF never misses at this point, and that's why he's so vital to AEW and such a massive star and a champion elect and all that kind of thing. But this was absolutely enhanced by what followed later on as well. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, we got it wrong. I'll hold my hands up. We thought Jay Lethal was going to be on this. We're going to have to wait a week. Uh, he's going to face Darby <laughs> Allen next week, who's had his head glued back together, basically. This is a Sidgwick take, but it's so appropriate all the time in AEW now. Not everything needs an angle, not everything needs a beef, right? Mm-hmm. Darby Allen, and, and this goes back to the impromptu matches, the whole thing. A company that runs, fun- a wrestling company that runs functionally and runs as it should do, should promote Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal because matches just happen because wrestlers work as wrestlers. That's why Darby Allen versus Jay Lethal just happened. They want to win belts. So how do you win belts? You wrestle and you win and you get title shots. That's why this should happen. Not because an invented angle has occurred. And an angle on the side of the angle is, I'm going to do this on my own. Like, is that Jay Lethal teasing a babyface turn? Or is he lying to Darby Allen to tease out the boys, which teases out Sting, which gets us a tag match. And then we've had no angle creating two separate matches. Like, so overthought. Just put a graphic up with a singles match. I know. Uh, like that's what sort of blows my mind about it, is that like what they've got is fine. What they choose to overcomplicate it with almost undermines it. I want them to get the word fixtures mm. over on AEW television at this point mm-hmm. because there are dickheads out there. And honestly, a lot of the show pandered to the bad faith actors. It felt really dumbed down for me on the whole. Um, understand a bit of video context or Juice Robinson and Bandidos required. Not so much here. Just felt really dumbed down. Like Tony Khan's trying to really grow the numbers and listening to the worst people on Twitter. Um, just yeah, I just get the word fixtures over. And this is not going to happen because it's de-emphasized the rankings, which is another reason why I'm really miserable right now. <laughs> um, but like, just remind people this match is a great opportunity for ex wrestler to solidify their claim to earn a match against this champion. It can't be that dry all the time. I'm under no illusions. This is episodic TV. Yeah, but it makes the real grudge blood feuds feel like they must hate each other if they're delaying championship aspirations to go at each other's throats. Like, in this case, this is a good example as any. Like, Darby Allen is sick of Jay Lethal. is as fake feeling as, like, Sang of the Locker Room Leader. These are things you simply do not believe. These things have never occurred to you before until a, a wrestling company is telling you that that's, yeah. that's so. Uh, then it was we'll time have for more it. of that later. My God. Then it's time for the Championship Eliminator. Hey! <laughs> I remembered it. Um, it is Juice Robinson, who I really like, really like Juice Robinson, uh, against John Moxley. Um, and uh, he attacks Moxley outside prior to prior to the match, uh, beats him up, chucks him inside, and then inexplicably poses for about 20 seconds. As soon as he gets back in, of course, the world champion John Moxley is recovered. He clotheslines him, spills out to the floor, and the match starts um, I got a little bit worried when they immediately cut to MJF sat in his suite with the poker chip watching, but thankfully that was uh, uh, lessened compared to, <laughs> compared to last week. A one and done and for a purpose. Exactly. Which is yeah. nice. Right. Uh, Moxie chucks Robinson over the table. Uh, there's a forearm battle in the ring. Uh, Moxie cuts off some jabs from Juice Robinson and Robinson bites him in the face, as he promised to do, uh, if you watched uh, the, the build to this. Uh, but again, Robinson takes too long. This time going for a cannonball in the corner and Moxie wipes him out. They go to the outside uh, and Robinson hits uh, a cannonball against the railing this time, sends Moxley over another uh, over the same ring table from earlier and Moxley comes up bleeding because of course he does. Um, Robinson dominates uh, Moxley throughout the break. 
Uh, Moxley barely even manages to make it back into the ring. Um, and then as we come back, Moxley's set up on a chair. There's like it sucked. Uh, Juice Robinson does a cannonball off the apron. There's no Moxley there, but there's still a chair. Uh, so, ooh. Uh, Moxley hits a tope. They head back into the ring. They both nail each other with lariats. Moxley drops Robinson with a cutter for a two count. Ankle lock into an STF. Uh, but Robinson gets to the ropes. Uh, Juice Robinson thumbs him in the eye uh, and hits a powerbomb for a two count. Moxley goes for the death rider, but Robinson counters into pulp friction uh, for a near fall. He goes for the reverse airplane spin, but Moxley gets out of it. Running knee, the stomps to the head. Uh, and then I, I did like the finish because it struck me that, uh, you know, a very sort of MMA-esque of Robinson's like just flailing his arms around. Stop kicking me in the head. And Moxley goes, oh, that arm's free. Oh, into the arm breaker and immediately gets the submission. We'll talk about the post-match in a second, Sige. What did you make of the match itself? I thought this was so flat, like a crushing disappointment. Um, worked in front of a crowd that could not care less. And I don't think it was an indication of the make up the complexion of the crowd because they went absolutely ballistic for Bandido later in the night. And this can only really be interpreted, therefore, as a bad reflection on Juice Robinson, who I thought was just... I think he's been miscast as a heel. He is significantly better as a babyface. And he has a ceiling, but he's great at the mid-card, spirited babyface of... Obviously, I'm not technically as great as these dojo-honed wrestlers. I have to fight... Every single week, but I'll give it my best shot He's every a single run time. Wrestler, isn't he? On yeah, my day, that's a on gr- my yeah, day, yeah. I can get that's you. a great, great take. Here is the heel. I didn't find him intimidating. I didn't feel him particularly sly or cunning, or it was just a load of nothingness. And the fans couldn't have cared less. Uh, cared less, and I found it really hard to get into as well. And you know what? A lot of this has to do with the fact that I was in a mood because of the tone they set with this rubbish opening segment. Um, yeah, I was in a mood. It did very little to lift me out of it, but someone did later in the night. Yeah, it's that. This reminded me that um, I love that that old episode of The Simpsons where Bart's working for the mafia and then he doesn't turn into work, and it's because he's a great cocktail maker that he's got the job. And they like the guy has to make the cocktail for Fat Tony, and uh, he's just like throwing all the ingredients in. Like there's loads and loads and loads of goods in here. What have I done to deserve this flat, flavorless Manhattan? There's so many ingredients to this, so yeah. many reasons why it should have worked. And yeah, flat is the word. I, like it's just no. Like bite or energy or zest or all those other words to this at all. Like, it wasn't that nothing happened. You know, the biting was a callback. Mm-hmm. John Moxley bleeding in general tends to imply that he's in a war. He, like, at points sold his arse off for Juice Robinson today. The story that Juice Robinson as a heel now hot dogs more than he fights when he's not been with Moxley for a while and should probably realize that if you find yourself in an advantageous position, you should take advantage, right? Like, all of that is story driven stuff and I don't have a problem with it. But the fans aren't biting. So, you know, like, rethink a little bit or recalibrate and do whatever it is that maybe that's why Moxley bled I don't know like but at no point did this ever really feel like it got going love the finish because I love the constant arc of John Moxley has a million ways to beat you like he's like that's such an inspired like I love the MMA finish quick tap outs are always really cool in wrestling because it feels like it shouldn't happen yeah. like it reminds you that that's what tap outs are mm-hmm. rather than someone screaming in a curt angle ankle lock whenever I've seen an ankle lock I, honestly it's the one thing I can't take seriously so and I know how much that would hurt it's not really is. wrestling's fault is it it's just what MMA yeah. is kind of showing Everyone you. would everyone's twisted their ankle in their life yeah and I just can't take it seriously as a finish yeah it's like, great but it just hurts too much uh-huh. and it, like so that when you get a finish like that and Moxley being blame a, Shawn Michaels the, the purveyor <laughs> of it like it's uh, it's it's fantastic or at least it should be uh, like this is probably the only point I'm going to get in the podcast to put over the videos that we got for Juice and Bandido mm-hmm. because 
keep doing them. Don't be like I understand why the the sort of the immediate thought was, oh, like he's taking up dynamite time to do a video because there's bad faith actors on Twitter that being like, who's Juice Robinson? Who's Bandito? It's like why I like it is because Tony Khan has got this big bold idea that I absolutely support that AEW should be the destination for all pro wrestling that is contractually available. In any given week, you should be able to think of a match, and if they're free from a WWE contract or wherever, it could happen. Follow that. Like, absolutely follow that instinct. I don't care what idiots on Twitter suggest. That is a good avenue to go down, because Dynamite being that is a good thing. This was an example of it. The main event was an example of it. It can't always be perfect. It can't always have a story. But you can book like that, and it can work. Short video packages are absolutely the yeah. way to go. And as much as this one didn't take, think about how much the main event did. So definitely, definitely follow down that path, even if they don't always hit this. Like, and in that respect, this match was a noble failure. But I'm really glad they did that. I wish they would stop doing it for three months. Actually, <laughs> I really wish they would stop doing this for three months. Obviously, if our shingles available for whatever reason. It's like it's one of those. It's where the like, signing yeah, thing. Again. Sign, the wrestler, sign the wrestler. Sign the wrestler. Sign Bandido. Obviously, <laughs> I would like, if possible, for them to not do anything like this for three solid months, so that it feels special again. I always go back to the example of Jeff Cobb, mm. February twenty twenty. Of course, I would say this, but my God, Jeff Cobb was like, "Oh, that can happen here now." They've completely and utterly normalized what should be a dream scenario. Mm. He wouldn't even make a tag match on Rampage now, would he, Jeff Cobb? The last thing he did was Cash Wheeler on Rampage, and it was only like uh, yeah. Gentleman's Three, but a fun one. And they need to make that special again. It, get, it goes back to new signings on special, Forbidden Door stuff isn't special, great matches on special. You have to do them every week now. Why wouldn't you? But more adhering to that which once made AEW great rather than trying to be the everything promotion for me. And considering it's WWE, that's too much of bloody everything for me. <laughs> So post-match, Hangman Page comes down Furious. to the ring, obviously. He's, uh, he's the number one contender. Uh, they're facing off in a few weeks for the world title. He has a stare down with Moxley, but before they can get into it or say something to each other, MJF is taking a mic into his swing. He goes, whoa, 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 wait a second. doesn't matter what's going on in here because both of you are fighting to lose. Whoever is the champion at the end of this is going to lose to the generational talent. And he's there and he's drinking it in and just posing. And, of course, he's behind me, isn't he? Wheeler Yu is there. He jumps him. He beats him up. He chucks him over the sofa and spills everywhere. Spills back through into the crowd. Uh, and security has to eventually separate them. It looked good. Um, Wheeler Yu uh, was as smart as MJF. He's like the constant 4D chess player, which was ideal for the feud. And this, this point about them being kind of equal now, going into the match itself, they've established that sort of parity between them. There's no invisible wall, and MJF told them where he was going to be. So that, like, that's, a, that's how an AEW broadcast should play out, you know. Um, it's not perfect, because the Hangman page, John Moxley stared down was weird enough on its own, before MJF interrupted it. Why? Like, why? A character, what's the reason, narratively, other than to be like, I got my chip, we know that, mate. We see it all the fucking time. <laughs> like, you, the whole point of you having the chip and sitting in the skybox is that you want John Moxley or whomever is close to that title to be killing themselves so that you have the easiest job. Let them fight. Like, again, TV contrivances, but I did love the wheelie to MJF stuff. I thought the wheelie to MJF angle here was absolutely phenomenal. And it wasn't just the, the skybox nostalgia. <laughs> oh, that's what I got. I had flashbacks. Yeah, it wasn't just that, but there was an element to it. I thought the body language of the respective opponents here was unbelievable. Like, the way that um, Utah kind of, like, just puffed his chest out but had his head down. He looked like this, like, vengeful badass. 
MGF, as Hamsel pointed out, is so great at showing us when he has to, the idea that there's no invisible wall, the idea that this the events in the world that is all elite wrestling affects the characters in it when the cameras aren't rolling or are meant to be capturing something else. Like there should be we talk about we talked about rather the Daniel Garcia thing, he's got seven days and then the Kangol hats one too far or whatever. Or, you know, the interruption that just happened. Oh, I've been meaning to speak to you for seven days. Why not do it on TV? <laughs> That's very contrived. Wrestling has to do it, but shouldn't do it too often. The idea that Utah is like, no, I'm still, my piss is still boiled about everything you've done to Shivani, everything you said about the PCC. It doesn't matter that I don't have a pre-recorded segment here. I still have an interior life. I love that so much. And the actual physical brawl, which there's an art to, how many times have we seen just... JAS and BCC just throw punches at each other and it's all a bit drab and just there's no focus to it. There's no heat or intensity to it. It's just a thing to do because you kind of have to. They're both there. The idea that they were throwing themselves down the building to get at each other was fantastic. There's an art to a brawl and they goddamn nearly perfected it here. Yeah, you're talking about those the flashbacks. I miss talking there. like this about <laughs> AEW. This one wrap MJF's scarf around there. It was cold here. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I, I, just, I got real flashbacks to that. And for some reason in this segment, the bit where I think it was probably the same bit that we're talking about. They brawl, they're in the skybox, they brawl, 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 brawl and they're like, they're in the, the like uh, con- concourse or whatever, and they're all fighting. <laughs> I think it's Jericho. It's like, I bought a ticket, I bought a ticket. Or someone, I think it was and Jericho. Went, uh, and he just, like <laughs> licked it and put it on his forehead like it an asshole. It was great. It's uh, sorry for treading on preview tours here. I think MJF uh, DDTs you through a glass table next week. Anniversary Dynamite in Washington. Oh, uh, yeah, very good. You know what's tragic about this? What? They Obviously, you're never going to get that crowd again for a Dynamite. It was the first one. Let's not be naive here. Let's not be in bad faith. But they drew, I think, about fourteen to 18,000 in that building. It was, Jesus Christ, it was rammed. They, I think they've sold under 2,000 tickets. They're not going back to the same building, thank All God. All right, I've talked. I was, 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 was speechless. I was like, how's that going to work? I think, <laughs> even, I think even WWE would struggle to make that yeah. look good on TV. Um, but yeah, for a much smaller building, there's less than 2,000. That is, you can't so the, argue with that, is it? So the two wow. comparisons are going to be, because the, the big number as well was the thing, wasn't it? Like, And that's going to be that's going to be used way more in bad faith, but like the 1.5 or There's whatever, a really good faith argument to say that, my God, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, this is where we got the uh, Bandido video package about him uh, being a champion in Ring of Honor. How nice to see an all-in footage on Dynamite, by the way. And uh, where it belongs. Where it belongs. Um, and uh, <laughs> Tony, do you want the um, what order do you want to do the do you want the, the women's match, then Soraya or Soraya, and then a little bit later on the women's match? Why not both? Uh, <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, and never even clocked about that. Strush together. Well, I'm two, well, I'm two yeah. segments. No. The boys were pointing over the fact that, hey, we've got a women's match and a big, you know, mega signing for AW. You know, yeah, shove them all together <laughs> so we don't have to do... What? Anyway. What so, are we going to do with Jade Cargill next week? Okay. <laughs> Only place for two. <laughs> so, yeah, we see this sur- surprise debut from Soraya last week. Um, and she comes out of the ring to obviously... Yeah, um, <laughs> She says, <laughs> she says she's damaged. Actually, not, I can't actually deny this. Yeah. She says she's damaged, not broken. She's going to create change in the women's division. She is the revolution. Uh, she says AW is officially her house uh, and says, you know what? Let's get all the women out here. Five women come out. Now, I get it. I, I, as I say that, I've been, I was joking about this on the news. 
that you're not just going to have all the women's division, heels and baby faces, people who despise each other coming out just because Soraya said it, but it didn't look great to go, women, come on out. And Tony Storm, Athena, Madison Rain, Sky Blue, and Willow Nightingale come out. Oh, great. Love to see Willow Nightingale on my TV, but it just felt a bit weird to be like, let's get all the women's division out and five people walked out on the stage. And then it, it was a bit, I don't know, it's still, it, uh, you'll probably be better at analysing this than I am. She puts Tony Storm over, but I don't know. I don't know why I felt so I, weird about this. I've got a take on this, okay? Because right? there's obviously loads to pick up with this anyway. Um, I think Tony Storm showed a bit of a very good, by the way, wrestler instinct. She knew, like, and Saray, I don't blame Saray for this at all. But like, the tone of this was so patronising, so condescending, so Stephanie McMahon inventing women's wrestling in 2015 with the three trios, that Tony Storm had a moment where she was like, if I step forward and allow my hair to be ruffled, that's worse than just like passively accepting okay. the credit. And I honestly think Soraya, like the instruction was probably put her over, give her a spotlight, and then she steps forward and she's expecting her just to do it and like bask in the glory. Like if Stephanie McMahon says you're good, you're good. And Tony Storm, in my opinion, made the right call to be like, Thanks, but you, I've got a belt over my shoulder. Yeah, like, but it was, but it played like I could be wrong. This could be teasing a feud or something, but felt awkward enough to be real. This was all so awkward. So yeah, Soraya says Tony Storm's finally being utilized to her full potential. She's the best AW Women's Champion they've ever had. Bit of a dig. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Britt Baker obviously interrupts. Then she's got uh, Rebel, Penelope Ford, and Jamie Hayter. Of course, Uh, she says, "Soraya, you're nothing but a catchphrase." Ab DMD, which was a nice little cell phone. Very good. Uh, She says, uh, "I put my neck on the line for AEW, and unlike yours, mine is strong enough to handle it." Uh, She said, "This this is your house, is it, Soraya?" Uh, and you've made such a big impact that half the people in this room don't even know how to say your name. It, it's Soraya, everyone. She's clarified on Twitter, just in case you're wondering. Uh, she says, huh, huh, well, that's cute, Brit, trying to make fun of my name, because your name rhymes with... I'm, I'm not going to fin- finish that sentence. A, because I have to believe it myself, but all because it's just a, uh, an interesting line. Um, terrible line. Terrible. Yeah. Like, one of the greatest people I've been blessed to meet is sat across from me right now. And one time, someone on YouTube or Twitter or whatever it was called him Moon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, let me drop this one. M- moon <laughs> prick dick. What? Better than Soraya. Where do you get Moon <laughs> from? I was asking him this the other day. That's what I thought of when I said, forgot about <laughs> Check it. this out. We rose with that. I was like, Man, you want to speak to the guy that was after Cedric for a while? It was, I'll tell you what, though, this idiot did us a favor. This is a solid. In a long forgotten meme cycle now, remember when uh, people who often get um, their names mispronounced, there was a meme for them where it was something along the lines of, What's your name? Name. Oh, I should have thought, I should have known it was, and then the misspelled name. That was like a meme format. What's your name? Michael Sidgwick. Ah, should have known it was Moon <laughs> Prick Dick. <laughs> moon <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Wilborn. That's all right. I don't mind it for that. It's great, though. Man. That's, that's who I thought about when she topped that one. It's like, got him. <laughs> so, yeah, Baker's cutting the, pro, cutting the promo. Sludge dick. <laughs> sludge dick's good. Sludge. Sludge Sludgy dick. stuck around, doesn't it, as well? Like, you'll sludgy, get sludgy. Yeah, calls him. a sludgy sometimes. <laughs> sludge dick. I'm not going to mention the name, but there was someone who thought they'd come up with an absolute zinger in, in our office, in, in the old office, in fact. Um, not a member of the wrestling team. Um, but Andy was, uh, I think, playing pool or something. And uh, they went, oh, Andy Murray, I'm surprised you're not playing tennis. 
And he's been working here for about two years at this point. And we we're like, yep, got it. He's Scottish and his name's Andy Murray. Got it. Yep, good one. You know, you, we, we do content that goes out to the public and you have to accept that you're going to get like these obvious insults, as indeed Britt happened to do with um, Soraya here. Like, back into my name, of course, like Britt Baker rhymes with shit. So I understood when somebody called me Michael Shitflit. Right, hang on. It's the name of a WhatsApp group now, that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a WhatsApp group that I've got with three of my mates that exclusively say for awful things people say about me online. That's what it's called. So uh, I've got to get to the end of this end of this because I've got to get your thoughts on it. So Baker's talking. The crowd's chanting for Jamie Hayter, quite right. Uh, and she says, yep, she's going to get her shot at you, Tony, uh, after you face Serena Deeb. Serena Deeb comes out and Soraya says, look, I've not been uh, around in this company uh, for very long, but I know you girls like to get up to some funky stuff. Uh, I spoke to Tony backstage, and it's good to have a boss that finally listens to me. And I've decided that tonight's match... Uh, is going to be for the title still, obviously, but it's also now a lumberjack match. What's it? Oh, he's leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Your floor is yours, Michael. A chair's been thrown. Somebody get the dog out of the room. <laughs> the threat of an on-screen authority figure empowered to make decisions on the fly do what I want. It's not as if there's like an emulated sports league with fixtures to get through that are predetermined because that's how it works and makes sense. Is Paige the general manager of the women's division? But that like it, no. Oh my god. <laughs> For now at least. Oh my god. I hate this so goddamn much. This made Tony Storm look like Nout. So condescending. Saray's delivery, you know what? She's had a week back in the proper public eye and someone with her history. Um, not that the thing that you might be thinking of is anything to be ashamed of. It absolutely isn't, but it does get brought up. She's probably had a bit of a meh, right, all week. So she's a little bit shaky. You know, she hasn't done this for a while. Yeah, I'll permit these like flubs and everything else. My God, the booking. Conceptually, this is so awful. The women just look reduced in a segment that is meant to promote them more. What a te- just terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, it really is a shame that the, like the institutionally systemic misogyny that has been at the rotten heart of professional wrestling for so long is not um, naturally, understandably, created... Lots of many uh, female bookers or anything because if there was one qualified, like Tony Khan should hand it over because he's just got this way of reducing women as afterthoughts in the, the blocking of this segment. The idea that, oh, Penelope Ford, ah, it's a bit uneven this, just get one of the broads <laughs> to be a heel. Get one of the broads to be another heel who's got <laughs> no prior real association with Britt Baker. They might have teamed. They might have been in an angle. but No one remembers. I can't. Terrible. The idea that you can just make a lumberjack match. Absolutely abysmal. The narrative convenience that sets up this token obligatory one rampage match because, oh, you're a baddie and I'm a goodie, so we're going to fight. This is WWE. If WWE did this, I would have slaughtered it and I just cannot fathom that this happened on AEW Dynamite. Impromptu match stipulation. 
authority figures on screen. You can just change things on the fly willy-nilly. I was just hating my life. I would have switched this off if I wasn't covering it for um, being a professional content creator for wrestling. You know what? I might take tomorrow off. (laughs) Genuinely, I'm sick of wrestling at the minute. I've said I think Triple H is getting away with murder a little bit in terms of the booking of the women's division because he's just using the presence of a lot of people's favourites. It's better than this segment. You know, like at least they're setting up feuds and stories that have been established through matches and dynamics and angles. This was all, everything that Sidgwick has said. Like, I can't really, like, say much more than to echo that as loudly as I possibly can. Other than to add, I suppose, that this was not just a disaster for all those things that Sidgwick has laid out. This is a disaster because it's one week on from this incredible moment that everybody was celebrating. Arguably, it's the best thing about an entire episode of Dynamite, but yeah. certainly it's a celebration of what AEW, for that little while, when in, two, in 2021, when a bunch of wrestlers were coming in, when CM Punk had come back, and it was like, not only is this this like fabulously booked TV show, it is like sort of uh, the Cody Rose Ellis Island thing, plus it's the Utopia, plus it's the Land of Milk and Honey. It's all of these things at the same time. Of course you would want to wrestle there. And for a split second, Paige comes in, it's, it's that feeling again, isn't it? And it, that feeling was needed after the whole thing with Punk and the Elite, so they've recaptured that feeling. And what, what's, what we've all said, but they haven't, is that she will be the game changer. She will be what this division needs. She bloody is. And then they send her out there. Change the game into something even worse. How has this happened? To talk down, it, this isn't on her. This was the messaging that yeah, was yeah, required yeah. to get out there. To talk down the division worse than we have done in a, like, three years of podcasts by comparing it, like, we never compared it to the WWE Divas division of the darkest days. We said, needs work, needs this, needs this, needs this, needs this. Everyone's saying that. That's not like, just to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Needs all of these things. But we've never said, butterfly belt, bikini contest era. And effectively, what Paige did here was what WWE had to do all those years ago and say, all of that has to go. We're going to try and do this now. Like, don't make that comparison. Jesus Christ. Like, What if, a cell phone. Yeah, an unbelievable cell phone. And an own goal, because you've got Paige to just basically ramp up the quality of the competition. Just do. Don't say do. Like, Kevin Nash, only things that are real are the money and the miles. The money here was Jamie Hayter because she got an enormous chant. The miles were the ones that Tony Storm and Serena Dean have travelled because they had an absolute ripper of a match in the face of this dreadful setup segment. Like, an absolute living nightmare of a bit. That visual of the four women lined up in the ring to be identified as great and have the hair ruffled one by one will stick with me for days about how bad it was. Not least because then you've got to line up the heels coming down. The dynamics are all to cock because Britt Baker, wearing an AEW shirt, no less, is delivering lines that some could perceive as true. You know, like, I worked... She did it last week with uh, Thunder Rosa, like, or whenever it was, when she said, like, I worked hurt. You could do that. Like, that's less than ideal for a babyface that's recovering on the sidelines. She's done it again here, talking with a broken nose, no less, and the logo across the chest. It's like, what's going on? What is, like, proper autopilot robot women's booking of the pre-WWE women's revolution era? I cannot fathom how they conspired to create all of this and then like you have this match that takes a little while to get going because of course it does after that and then when it gets going jesus christ like start with them two there's your year zero is two wrestlers of this standard and books in storylines it's no more complicated than that and yet you did this instead that just made it look so bad even worse than you thought possible and then the actual changes weren't Anything good? Well, you oh, have a lumberjack match so we can get more women on screen. How token is that? How patronising is that? There will be a defence, I think, for this. I, I don't know because I haven't like engaged too much with the discourse online yet. I think there will be a defence that will be 
Tony Khan like prided himself for a while on being a listening booker and AW being the listening company and acknowledging that there had been problems with the women's division was them attempting to be the listening company. This was absolutely so massively the wrong way to do that. There were a million different ways to skin that cat and you missed all of them. Like this was a nightmare. This like this was nightmare. an absolute nightmare. Saray is great. Like I was talking about, I was talking in numbers terms yesterday. A star, people care about her. A young generation of fans wrestling never gets young people enough, and young people found women's wrestling through someone like a page, gravitated towards her, saw that she could be the change, and AW have got her, and she might go. Commentators are telling her she can go, mm-hmm. and it's this route you go down instead. I don't know if the idea here by her saying. I'm damaged but not broken. It was like a tease of our can do something. Yeah. Certainly people want to see, or in theory want to see, Britt Baker versus Soraya. Build it in a different way than this. Don't give me this horrible feeling that there's going to be a general manager who's going to speak on behalf of all of these marginalized talent that the show is marginalized. It's unspeakably awful, horrific to like live through and watch this. I just hated it so much. Watch Tony Storm's face if you watch this back throughout, and that's the truth of a segment like this. I think, personally, I could be wrong, could be casting aspersions on people that all thought this was absolutely fantastic from the off, but she's there with a belt over her shoulder. That's what wrestling's supposed to be about, and she stood there effectively being paraded, Mm. and I I think that was so telling throughout like all of this. You cannot say it needs a revolution. No. Don't say the quiet part loud. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and it's just such a shame because it was followed, like you say, by this great match with uh, with Tony and, and Serena, uh, the interim AW Women's Title on the line. Although I think, as you pointed out, Hamlet, they fought like the women's title was was on the line. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's just a wild brawl. Um, Storm sends Deeb out early on, and she goes into the uh, Storm Lumberjacks, not Lumberjills. Taz got told off by uh, Soraya on commentary for that one. Uh, quickly gets sent back inside. And of course, when Storm early on gets spills to the outside, they all put the boots to her. The one, the heel ones uh, put the boots to her. Deep control Storm as we go through a break. When we come back, um, Storm gets a few pin attempts and Deep goes outside because she wants a bit of a break from all this. Athena's like, no, 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 back in, back in you go. Storm misses sweet cheek music. Deep gets a roll up for two. Storm blocks a dragon screw into a roll up, but Deep counters and just starts cranking on the neck of uh, Tony Storm. She counters that into a roll up. Jamie Hayer trips up Storm, pulled her, pulled her outside. Sky Blue gets laid out by Hayer and then Hayer just gets chased off up the ramp by uh, Willow Nightingale. All this leads to a Deeb putting Tony Storm in the Serenity Lock, but Storm just manages to get a rope break. Uh, Deeb goes for the Deeb Tox, but Storm gets a backdrop. Uh, Deeb rolls through a top rope crossbody to put a single leg crab on and really talk that leg. Uh, Deeb gets sent into the corner. Storm hits sweet cheek music and Storm Zero. But Serena Deeb kicks out. She gets a dragon screw out of the corner, goes up top. But Storm cuts her up and hits this super pile driver oh thing God. off the second rope. For the one, two, three. It's a miracle that I got into this as much as I did. My mood was foul. The the the, the setting and the backdrop of the lumberjack match was just. I was watching several talents who just had the almost the blame put on them by saying, "Oh, this women's division needs a revolution." Just look at these <laughs> kick the bloody arse, this lot, ridiculous. And yet the work was so strong in this match, despite the crowd not being into it. Um, throughout all that much. And what an absolutely incredible finishing sequence. Um, the Storm Zero getting the kick out was quite shocking to me. Yeah. The Avalanche version was just insane. It was brilliant. Um, Tony Khan needs to give Alison Danger the book. 
Mm. I, I can't. He like, cannot book women's wrestling. Either he, he and I know he can. That's the thing. I've seen him book. This is a man who, and I know he gets input from his collaborators, his talent, right? And I know that the CM Punk MGF feud had so much of both men in it. He books it. Mm-hmm. He says week to week what happens. He folds other stuff in, like the Wardlow stuff. He booked Page Omega. He's booked everything great that happened from January 2020. And he had obviously a major part on everything that happened before then. He cannot not book women's wrestling. He will not book women's wrestling. Give Alison Danger the book. Uh, before we move on, one final thing to do. It's time to play the game! And what game is that, Michael Sidgwick? Just to rub salt into the <laughs> um, It's Ladies Night. Thinking no revolution. I don't want to do the jingle. I'm too upset to do the jingle. <laughs> the uh, jingle feels particularly not cool to do today. Yes. Yeah. And also, uh, it was sort of a weird one because it was like, like I said, they just sort of went, we've got two segments. We've got a match, sorry, a match and like a promo segment. And they just went, put them together. So like normally, you go, oh, here's the first person, here's the second person. When did the first person's music start playing? Yeah. Boom. It doesn't really matter because we're all so close together. Uh, shout out once again to, to Adam Blair, at Adam Wilton4 on Twitter, who uh, keeps the admin of this all straight. And it is back-to-back victories oh, get for Michael Hamlet. Women's wrestling is saved after all. He based it on when Deeb's music hit, but okay. I think you could even probably base it on when the bell rang for this match and you'd still be correct. What were the, the timings that we put through, uh, Sidgwick? Wilborn, 121.36. Sidgwick, 124.05. Hamlet, 119.05. Uh, Deeb's music hit on 114.19. Okay, I'll take that. Moves uh, Hamlet to three and seven, so three correct, seven incorrect. Uh, Sidge, four and eight, and me, six and seven. The goddamn nightmare. Tony Storm's one of my favourite wrestlers in AW at the moment. That's, That's the wildest great. thing. She is kicking ass at the moment. Yeah. Like, this is getting better. This run is getting better and better and better. And, of course, like, Deeb's kind of never in doubt as an like, elite utility yeah. player. Um, really good coach. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> tremendous Christ. coach. Um, give me an angle. Give me an angle for Tony Storm that is just a title storyline leading up to a pay-per-view. You do it for about 15 fellas because everyone's got a belt these days. Like, do one for Tony Storm because she's one of the best. At the, like, she's in such form at the moment. Uh, we're backstage with the acclaimed and uh, Billy Gunn, Daddy Ass. Uh, next week on Dynamite is National Scissoring Day and bring all your scissor stuff, not actual scissors, but bring all your scissor stuff to uh, to Dynamite. Um, and on Rampage, we've got an open challenge for our titles. <laughs> got Billy Gunn's Christian Cage now. We'll, we'll talk about this in a second. Is he a claim Fandango? Because this felt a little bit like, it's Scissor Day. We'll get Jerry Lawler out there. He's going to talk about Scissor. Oh, no, we can't do that. But like, <laughs> this is, we, we get the gag. Like, you get organically over because people just love you as a babyface act. You're not a bit. I was looking at Matt like, Caster's face. Right gimmicks to sell t-shirts, characters sell tickets, and there is a huge difference. Don't blow it with the acclaimed. I know this is like one of the most uh, ancient takes that's around Dynamite, but their exclusive material in their Road 2 builds and their post-match comments and all the stuff that gets beautifully assembled on the Road 2 and the control centers. Did you see the acclaimed? Yes. Where Max Caster revealed to Billy Gunn, straight after the title win, I never told you this, you were my favorite wrestler growing up, and he can't complete his thoughts because he's in tears, and he has to ask Anthony Bones, who's also absolutely helpless, put that on dynamite Mm. instead of this. I agree. Because it would have really let the gravity of the moment sink in. It would have told the story of how much winning actually means, and 
whenever you see anyone backstage building something to Rampage, because of all the problems with Rampage and the amount of redundant repetition across Dynamite, I think you're building something for Rampage. I instantly perceive them as less of a star, absolute lesser than at this point. And to put the acclaim there after all that, which was what watching that, what, I watched that road to, and they ran through Grand I'm Slam. So. Disappointed with this goddamn episode of television. Well, this is what I'm talking about. So I watched the road two, and they run through the, the the big stuff. And obviously, the road to a lot of it is uh, Moxley and Juice Robinson and all that sort of thing, right? And I watched that, and I was like, right, what are we doing next? Like, the, the, you've you, if, if regardless of what's happened before, less so with the acclaim, more so with someone like Wardlow. And Wardlow might be injured, to be honest. Like we saw him, he was tweaked, he pulled something, or he was hobbling a little bit in that towards the end of that Ward Joe match. So that, that maybe could be excusable. I was like, right, okay, so what we got next? What we got next for the acclaim? What we got next for Wardlow? What we got, you know, what's Jungle Boy doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, they just go, like you say, they just go, oh, yeah, next week, bring your scissors, do scissors stuff. And then they go, yeah, got an open challenge for our titles on Dino, on Rampage. And I was like, right, that's pretty bad. And I know, and I've learned through working with you how you'll feel about this, Sige. And later on, they go, it's a triple threat for the, uh, for the tag top. I was like, what? <laughs> you thought that loser segment didn't have a point? You're wrong. It had a massive point. They're the biggest deals now. What? So, if Mark Quinn gets pinned by the Butcher, the acclaimed tag team title runs over. Yeah. Yeah. Off the back of that segment, that like recruitment tapping Jesus. up. Jesus Christ. I, 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 I can't I, be asked to do the maths. Have there been as many three-way tag team title matches as normal tag team title matches in AEW this year? Yeah, maybe. It feels that way. They'll obviously have put something like at the start of the year, like Jurassic Express versus Private Party and then the Gun Club. I'm being facetious. But in terms of your feature ones, on pay-per-view, certainly, there's been more because there was two across Revolution and Double or Nothing and a Forbidden Door, in fact. No, that wasn't for the AEW titles. But regardless, there's been more on AEW strict pay-per-view. It feels like there's been loads on TV as well. It felt like a device for Christian Cage. But even in retrospect, that's stupid. Why would Christian Cage book three-way matches when all along all he cared about was not doing any work, riding Jungle Boy's coattails to... Um, keep the belts on them, if anything. Keep the belts on them by not having the other team beat the other team. I don't. I don't think this is like a red flag. Alarm bells aren't ringing with the acclaim specifically, right? But this oh, is... Oh, no, a, he's not there There's a point, and I think it's related to the... I think it's relevant to this episode because I think it's related to the impromptu matches and the authority figure and all that sort of stuff, right? I often make the comparison, and you're supposed to, Billy Gunn is right there to the New Age Outlaws in terms of the acclaimed end zone cast. These comparative pieces and all of these acts have got tremendous value and have proven to have tremendous value as well. The personality of a gimmick, right? The scissor me daddy thing is awesome and a gimmick getting over like that, a hand signal, a chant, like something, you know, a teachable moment, something gets over. NXT 2.0 is obsessed with these bits, but they don't get people over. They're set dressing. They're they're set dressing for for characters that (laughs) eventually could make money. You know what I mean? Like if Tony D'Angelo ever gets over as a world champion, it's not going to be because he's a mafioso. It's because he's going to have shown something. And by the way, I was using this mafioso thing as a trick. Orange Cassidy is a great example now, et cetera, et cetera. We all know this, right? The scissoring thing. Like I cannot believe they've just won the belts. And already it's like, next week is scissor week. Like the New Age Outlaws being the perfect comparison point, like got over because neither than being amazing wrestlers, it was about how tag team wrestling needs to go. We just need to take our opportunities and like put do away with the fossils of the LOD and whoever they were fighting at the time. It was like, 
we won't do things the way that it's been done. We're going to do them our way. And if you didn't know your aspect to call somebody, and next week is telephone week, I'm on <laughs> raw. You want to call somebody? Bring your phones. No, like the outlaws got over because they were a transgression on the way tag team wrestling had been done. The acclaimed here have been a transgression because nobody would have seen them rise and get as popular as they did through their, the force of their personalities and the things you learn about them and the stuff that Sidgwick outlines in the online exclusive promo. The scissors, it's a bit of fun. And there's such a massive difference between those two things. Highlight the first one and, like, benefit of it with the latter. Yeah. Like, CM Punk gave away free ice cream bars. That is not the key detail of his... It's ice cream, man. Uh, <laughs> that's not the key detail of his first dance promo. And they know the differences. And I cannot believe that at week one, they were like, this is a week it is, time to go there. Like They must be looking at some kind of data. T-shirt metrics. And all that this kind blown of stuff. Away. Because the discrepancy now between the great on the road to and some of the total bollocks you get on TV, which itself tries to satirize sports entertainment, which is just a <laughs> monumental cell phone on a night full of them. The, 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 the discrepancy is staggering at this point. They, the worst thing is like they know what's good and what they'll put on their YouTube and stuff, and they know what they, they know it's crap. That's the worst thing. They know fine well that it's crap that they are putting on their show and they are dumbing stuff down. Can you not just be happy that you've got this like incredible loyal audience? Do you have to shoot for the top with WWE? Can I not just have my clever wrestling show, please? I need Sid. I need like off here. I was waiting for it in the review today. The, like the Jenga stack of your emotions of uh, Andrade is on screen. I was uh, hang on. Private Party and Butch Blade are still together. Everybody walks away. Oh, Jesus Christ, now my heart is showing up. The one, two, three, four, five, six of your emotions watching that segment. I was like, I was thinking of you watching yeah. this at like five in the morning. How was his head? How was his head? My heart, he just stood there somewhere <laughs> in the distance, about three friggin' feet. And like, he had a feud with Andrade, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he, he have a match? Did they he have a single match? Andrade bought it off him when he was still a heel and then Jeff came back. So he was like, I don't care about that anymore. I think. That was right, isn't it? Oh, they would have had like a tornado match yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, former mortal enemy there. There you go. Right, okay. Let's go. We're going to have a conversation now. <laughs> but before we get to that, pathetic. it wasn't all bad. Because in comes, clapping his way in, Keith Lee says, Gentlemen, I wish to congratulate you all. Ah, yes. I How see big are these buildings? <laughs> I thought of you in that one, and I thought of you when Keith Lee said what he's about to say. <laughs> well, I've turned my morning around this. Full disclosure, this isn't verbatim. I've sort of interpreted it. But I have got the, the line. That was the catalyst. And then, you know, galaxy brained it. Gentlemen, I wish to congratulate you all. Ah, yes. I see that you know your wrestling well. Good one. <laughs> However, as you can see with your peepers, Swerve Strickland, <laughs> Swerve Strickland is not in attendance at this moment. He is exceptionally disgruntled. <laughs> He said indubitably on the road to. Yeah. And after reviewing the footage, I believe we are in agreement. I understand why my partner in crime feels so aggrieved. The charge is not eating a succulent Chinese meal, but because Monsieur Bottom over here physically got involved in our contest and cost us our championships. You find Jens got carried. The best of luck to you. He leaves. Depart three then. Because they kind of no-sold it afterwards. Yeah. Oh, Hopefully next week they'll come out and say, you know what, ah, it's true. Adam Housen, he came up with the ass boys, you to drop monster to your bottom. It's French week on Dynamite! 
Right, the 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 but he comes to the barrier now. Monty, your bottom's here. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud of myself when I came with that this morning. Monty, your bottom. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, they cheer you up. Uh, well, I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm taking tomorrow off. I've decided. <laughs> Billy Gunn says, Tell Swerve I've got two words for him. Scissor me. Yeah. <sighs> doesn't save it at that point. Uh, yeah, this was the bit. <laughs> I'm so sorry to be like, it's all right, it's all right. Then Butcher and Blade are having an argument backstage with Private Party. And I'm like, wait, the Andrade family office is still a thing? And Jose, the assistant, trying to calm him down. And subsequently then, as I said, this is now a triple threat for the tag titles on Rampage. Uh, not a three-way, a triple threat. We're just going to call it what it is now because they're going to do this much WWE bollocks. So they're going to take the verbiage from it. It turns you into Dax, doesn't it? I'm watching this feeling like Dax. I don't want to feel like Dax. <laughs> no, I know. Jesus like, Christ. They're back safe. Like, yeah, great match. What the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and Jose says, hey, Andrade's in charge. If you don't like it, shape up or ship out. Here's Matt Hardy. <laughs> oh, God. And he says, oh, you know what? Something about last week just felt right. We're connected. You're, Andrade's no good for your career. Quick, get out of your deal. What? I'll be here waiting for you when the storm clears. It's going to be all different, Sage. So, <laughs> wait, what? Tell us what Matt Hardy said again. Some of our last week just felt right. We're connected. Andrade's bad for your career. Get out your, quit, get out your deal, and I'll be here when the storm clears. It'll all be different. What will Matt Hardy do for their career? F- nothing. You'll I'm sorry, one. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but my God in heaven... How is this a credible story development? Not only is it asinine that they're just these paid mercenaries for people I know in real life. Yeah, Andrade is probably on more than Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy, right? And I know he is, right? And Matt Hardy probably is as well. I just fucking useless faction leaders trying to get people to come back with me on, oh no, join me, 10. In private party, what is this, man? I hate it so much. We have a Highland page in the Young Books. No, no, we've got Highland page of the Young Books at the compound. <laughs> These three together. This is a patronizing suggestion. It's a, it's the LCST you've been longing for. <laughs> I don't know what Wikipedia page you've been reading because it's not this one. Like how they've arrived at thinking that that was the. You know, we, we, we're calling for throwbacks to some golden eras of AEW, you know <laughs> of which these never feature. You know on real shows? <laughs> yeah. You know on real TV shows? Do you want to know what they do? Right? Inside of the writer's room, they have, whether it's a physical thing or just something they've got locked in, they've got rules. They've got rules on their shows. You can't do this. It completely destroys everything. Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote has rules. Yes. And that's what makes it so magic. Things you absolutely cannot have them yeah. two people, things do. Seinfeld had a, the biggest rule of the lot. And there's obviously different rules. This character is this. They will never be doing that sort of thing. No hugging, no learning. If these people become compassionate, it ruins the DNA of the show. And it prevents them from getting into stupid farcical situations that are funny. You can't. Re- you, there are rules. There are absolutely rules to every single TV show. Tony Khan needs to create a new set. He absolutely needs to create a new set of rules. Right? No... Faction leaders doing recruitment gimmicks. Um, maybe two, the top two ones, like the Blackpool Combat Club or something. Or, in fact, none whatsoever. Yeah. It's boring. It has reached a point of parody. Like the referee thing last week, 
that was a rule he created for himself. He needs to do so much more. So much more. The show is falling apart. I don't want, I don't want to laugh at it anymore. I don't want to bury it. I don't want to laugh at it. I don't want... I just fucking Andrade and Matt Hardy recruiting people for these factions and these associations. Like, Private Party were first doing this sort of thing um, at the Double or Nothing 2020 is when this happened, mm. right? They first lined with Matt Hardy and they've gone heel with Matt Hardy and then they've turned on Matt Hardy to go with Andrew. What have they done? Now, they should be thinking, you know what, let's just wrestle and get booked more on the show and win more. These veterans are giving us no guidance whatsoever. Like two, over two years of this. In the meantime, you claim the rose up. FTR have turned babyface. Teams have formed. Individual members of tag teams have signed and then formed and then got ahead of the pecking order. And I'm meant to take it seriously. You know what we need to do? Go back with Matt Hardy. <laughs> taking the piss. How can I consider any of you as serious propositions or take any of you seriously when you're stupid because you're booked to be stupid because he's, Tony Khan's got his stupid tropes that he's insisting on doing because he might have lost the goddamn plot. I, I cannot hate this show more than I do right now. It's so And I know what, I know it's impulsive. I've really broadly enjoyed the last six weeks. Yeah. yeah. But these attendant problems keep creeping up. It could be so much more. Just enjoy wrestling, someone said to me on Twitter. <laughs> oh. I want to be blown away by wrestling. I want to be captivated by wrestling. I want my jaw to be dropped. I want my mind to be blown when I watch wrestling. I just enjoy it. It's class where like Suck my cat. <laughs> The way to enjoy something is when somebody tells you to. That's yeah, the sign oh, of yeah, true enjoyment, yeah, yeah. isn't it? I, Most fun's always good. Think about, like, you know what? Like, this is not as glib a comparison as it may first sound, but like Andrade and Matt Hardy, right? Two, let's say, like, faction leaders or tag team leaders or whatever, with never once a reason, a clear, objective reason to join either side. No motivation, just like, I'm with them, I'm with them, let's fight. That's not that different than wrestlers putting on red and blue T-shirts at the Survivor Series, is it? Because nobody is telling you, well, if you follow this route, if you're a Raw superstar, you're going to get great success. If you're a SmackDown superstar, you're going to get this. They have these fights because they're on different days of the week in different colours, and we're, every year we all go, that doesn't make sense. Like, Because what, what, what's the prize at the end of this? What has ever been the prize? That's such a great point, Sage. What has ever been the prize for sidling up to Andrade or sidling up to Matt Hardy? Zero. You are just, if they, if they were like wearing Matt Hardy t-shirts, private party, and Butcher and Blade wear Andrade t-shirts, that's exactly the same. They're battling for brand supremacy. The brands of the wrestlers. What's the prize? Nothing. Like, you don't get the rankings. It's just They're just fighting for these meaningless stakes. Is there any wonder... That hangman page is going, I don't need veteran advice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you look at what Andrade and Matt Hardy are doing with these young lads. Going absolutely nowhere in their careers. Why would you listen to Matt Hardy <laughs> and Andrade? Why would you bother doing anything like that, Philip? <laughs> we'll talk more about this on the Rampage preview tomorrow. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely, I might take the day off. <laughs> Just, I'm really Someone can talk to It's about. Friday, you know what that means. Such is in. Another bad dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got a squash match with Ricky Starks, um, who looks great, obviously, because he's Ricky Starks. Uh, Eli Isom, I think, was the guy who's facing. Um, and it was very brief, this. A tiny splash, tiny bit of offense, uh, splash in the corner from, from Isom. Starks does the misdirect spear. Rochambeau, one, two, three. This is probably the thing that they had to change. Not yeah. the thing they uh, booked and announced days, if not weeks, in advance. This is the thing they had to change. This is one of the more... Inoffensive things on the show. Great, the guy got a win is on the show again. That means he's probably perceived as a star internally. Great. This is the thing that changed. Yeah. 
I great this because you got something to look at while you're watching it. Like <laughs> Ricky Starks and Squash is perfect for yeah. this exact stage. Like we would call for this sort of thing all the time. More of this. Uh, and then it was main event time. Ring of Honor World Title. Uh, Chris Jericho versus Bandido. You got Bobby Cruz doing the ring introductions. Ian Riccoboni on commentary. Uh, they go to do the Code of Honor. And Jericho, uh, good, yeah, very good. Does the handshake and then it goes, ooh, 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 flips him off. Yeah. <laughs> Slapped. I've always said that Chris Jericho is my favourite wrestler, and I think he proved why here. Yeah. An excellent night for old Y2JZ. My guy. My guy. It was great, this. Uh, last guy. Last guy to like, apparently. Bandido uses his speed. So, so lame how it's, like, fashionable to hate Chris Jericho. I know. Grow up. <laughs> if you're one of these ex-wrestling observer newsletter guys on Twitter, it's like, oh, God, yeah, Jericho had a nice match, actually. Are you that guy from The Simpsons? What, Paul? Are you that guy from The Simpsons where it's like, you being sarcastic, dude, I don't even know anymore. Even that's know. what your life is now. Just earnestly enjoy a great performer. Oh, that's great. Man. Being great. <laughs> so Bandito uses speed to take Jericho outside. Tope, twisting crossbody. Uh, he hits a huge spinning reverse crossbody off the top. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mispressing you. Yeah, it's been <laughs> ages today. Uh, Jericho gets frustrated, has to regroup. Uh, there's a brawl on the floor. Bandido, after Jericho takes control, answers with a gorilla press over his head for a two count. A minute-long stalling vertical suplex. Credit to both men for that, mainly Bandido, but you could see, obviously, Jericho uh, was uh, was involved in all this. Um, crowd gets to the feet. They, they wake up and realize there's a wrestling show going on in front of them, finally. Bandido's the old Eddie Guerrero shimmy and hits a massive frog splash for a two count. Jericho gets control back, though, via a flapjack, multiple corner clotheslines. Um, Bandido does a front suplex on Jericho out of the corner, but dives right into a code breaker for a near fall. They're on the apron, strike exchange. Bandido hits a hurricane runner off the apron to the floor. Uh, he can counters Jericho's springboard corner dropkick into a springing sunset flip for two. Uh, misses a dropkick. Jericho hits the lion salt for a near fall. Uh, but Bandido floats over a lariat attempt into a snap crucifix bomb for a really nice two count of his own. Jericho counters the X knee into the walls of Jericho and Bandido gets to the ropes and rolls to the apron. But Jericho suplexes him back inside. I want, I've written this down here. I'm not sure exactly when it happened in this match. But uh, oh my God. Bandido's white mask being covered in blood. Brilliant. Inspired. Oh. Bandido cuts Jericho off on the top rope, hits the Revolution Fly, I think it's called, for a great two count. He hits the X-Knee and the 21-plex for an even closer near fall. Uh, but Jericho pokes him in the eye, as if that's not enough, pulls a mask over his face so he can't see. Um... Goes to the walls of Jericho and Bandido, despite everything, counters with a small package for two. Uh, but Jericho pulled out legs and uh, gets the walls of Jericho. Bandido can't see where the ropes are. He's scratching around trying to find them and he can't get there. And he submits to conclude a fantastic main event. I'll just wrap up the show and they can get your thoughts on everything here. Bobby Cruz is back to announce, yep, uh, Jericho's still a world champion. Jericho grabs a mic and says, the ring of Jericho era kind of thing has begun. Uh, I'm going to desecrate the legacy of ROH. Uh, he challenges Brian Danielson for a show in Toronto on October the 12th. He said he's going to be every former Ring of Honor champion, every commentator, every referee, and every ring announcer. And he punches Bobby Cruz, Judas affects him, and stands tall to close the show. This is all fantastic. I cannot tell you. As you've probably um, inferred, I'm in a mood. <laughs> and I got into a mood again 
and I was in a foul mood watching this, right? I was not bothered about this match because the show itself had put me in a bad mood. It's like the, a real sort of micro version of my problems with watching WWE over the last however many years. If something's good, or I'm expecting it to be of good quality, I kind of know that, oh, you know, that character's, it's probably an old take now, but that character's not going to go anywhere, so I can't fully invest. It's like, if I'm in a mood, and the vibe has been set, and the vibe's awful, I just want to switch it off because I don't fucking care about the show, it's rubbish. Like, I just, I, I'm not, I was, they made me less invested in this match than I was, like, a few days ago. I cannot tell you how impressive it must have been there for, on Bandido's part and Jericho's, but particularly Bandido, but also Jericho made this match about Bandido. I was shaken out of this mood and thought this was absolutely yeah. mint. I was so happy watching it. I thought it was a, a star-making performance. Ultimately, he lost clean. That's, you know, and he got over so incredibly well, and I think everyone is almost unanimous. There's no one on Twitter I've seen, right? Going, no, AW needs more guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, AW needs a few more talents here and there. Maybe the show will be better. And yeah, everyone's like, you have to give him a deal. Yeah, everyone in spite of themselves knows that, even though Bandido might get recruited by uh, Evil Uno of the Dark Order in about three weeks, <laughs> you can still take it because you have to sign him. It's, it's the post Cody Rhodes 2020 vibe, isn't it? Yeah. Like he'd fight a guy and then the next day be like, well, him on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> need him. That's the thing. Like, you know it's full. You know it's overflowing, in fact. You know that it's a bad decision, but you know, you're going to have to make it in the moment. Okay, Tony, I'm sorry, I forgive you. You have to sign this guy. <laughs> he was. So sympathetic through the mask as well. Yeah. If the blood was hard way, great. It's still great. If he's hoid a condom in there and put it in stage blood, what a genius. Even better. I, Jer- Even, like, I hope that's what's on the thorn, like, I've had this idea, bring your white gear. Yeah. Like, what an inspired idea that it's was. It's a cheat code for you and it white gear. It, well, it's a cheat code for yeah. the rest of when you can spit fake blood on yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> that was incredible. This... What I love about the strength spot as well is like, I'm not being funny, Chris probably couldn't do this a year ago. So I love the idea of, look, you can pick me up now, sort of thing. Like, look at how impressive it is and all that Imagine sort of like thing. like while he's posting for a minute long suplex doing a bicep flex. Yeah. Arm. So it was a bit of, oh, Jericho's doing really well to do that. It's like, yeah, yeah. But seriously. Yeah, you're right, guys. We're kind of the last guys to do that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but not to take the piss out of Jericho because he just does not deserve it anymore. No, he's Obviously, class, his political beliefs are his political beliefs, and I disagree with him vehemently. But oh my God, in the ring, Performance-wise, the guy is absolutely unbelievable. He's wrestling like it's 2009. Obviously, wrestling is better than it was in 2009, but he's 53, and he's wrestling like it's 2009. And in 2008 and 2009, best in the world, probably. Way up there. Like Way up Japan there. hadn't really, New Japan hadn't really happened yet. There's still greatness every single way, uh, every single place. But in terms of mainstream, prominent, best wrestler in the world, he's back on that form. It's quite, it's extraordinary. Bandido's strength spots were incredible. His high flying was incredible. His um, counters were incredible. I know there's one minute, one moment where they got lost, but I'm not going to really get too bothered about that. But in terms of how he paced everything, how he projected himself, this was a total dark art. I'm going to get myself over as a star. And God knows he's been really doing this in PWG and everything over the past however many months. He's really ascended and evolved into this role. And under the glare of the biggest spotlight, Dice had pretty much in yeah. the US. He's completely and utterly smashed it. This is a guy who everyone was like, oh, is that your finish? Mm. Or like there was a move that you had where I was like, oh, you can't do that. It's asking so much of the opponent and suspending disbelief. He was kind of known for stretching suspension of dis- disbelief somewhat was Bandido to go from that to, I believe everything you're doing and I'm desperate for you to win. 
the drama out the arse and a first title defence. Has there ever been a more dramatic first title defence no, in AEW? I was about to say that. This was, incre- this was unbelievable. For a match that, like you say, had, had, it would have been completely understandable, even if they put on a good match, a you know, gentleman's three, whatever we usually call it, right? Even if they put that on, the, then you could have argued that this crowd, having watched this preceding show with other flashes, <coughs> like we say, Tony Storm, Serena Deeb, etc., etc., this crowd could have just sat there on their hands and gone, right, it's Chris Jericho, who's older, um, and a guy I don't know if you're going to be the really bad faith take people. Um, like you say, in clearly the first match of a long-running storyline, we've literally just watched a championship celebration to set up all this other bollocks, so there's no way he's losing. So, do you want to get a, like, I'm not sure if Rampage, we've got another title match on Rampage, should we go and get a drink, right, so we're ready for that, or whatever it may it might be, or should we just sit on our hands? Like, it's a revelation what they did in this main event, I thought. Yeah, like, Jericho's going to have a hell of a job on his hands desecrating that title if he keeps kicking so much ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, these matches rule. Like, I understand the idea that he's going to cheat to win each time, but, like, it doesn't proceed, like, 10 or 15 class minutes. Second week in a row is defied science. Like, this week it was with the backflip power, bomb, uh, power slam thing. Like, it takes two to do that, just yeah. like the um, Cesaro spot last week. There's two people I in there. I rewound that, yeah. Like, unbelievable scenes. Um, the mask stuff was fantastic. I like the idea Bandido's worn a cup this week and gone off a... Yeah, it's a mask, of course. Well, as an overall presentation, again, you imagine wrestlers speaking to commentators to make all this make sense. The implication on the commentary was that it was probably a broken nose. But I think it was Taz that said so. His eyes are probably swelling up, and he's not got much of a field of vision anyway. Three minutes later, Jericho's targeting the eyes and pulling the mask down, and that's what figures into the cheating. So all of it ties together, like, flawlessly. The uh, To talk, go back to the point I was making earlier on about, like, it is a no, even when it's a failure, it's a noble failure, the noblest failure to make this the destination of pro wrestling. If all you've ever seen of Bandido is a video package earlier on this Dynamite and never even seen All In or Tony Khan's Ring of Honor or whatever, enough people knew about the goddamn 21plex because the near fall that that got was the yeah. registered as, oh my God, that's a death blow, it's a finisher, it's getting hit. Bandido doing that, by the way, the setup for it, he's the supercharged Rey Mysterio because the guy has to fall into the same place pretty much to set that up. So that registered too, it's like, it's like you know how Phoenix has kind of taken that on? Is this the mantle of the guy that is going to advance the form? And now Bandido's saying, what if it's me? So like a star making is right, like Jericho knowing where to put all of these moments that are going to effectively wrestle this guy into getting a job was like was inspired work from the veteran for the younger guy. So that played out um, completely like adjacent to an awesome kayfabe wrestling story. And it was really nice to watch that as well. Um, so, so much to love from the details of the story, just to the sheer acts of like, f- like astonishment physically from the likes of a Chris Jericho and what it is that Bandido offers. Yeah, you don't want to be the sort of... Uh, you know, like the, the Simpsons gag with the, the little lamb, Ray Phoenix, like, out of the way, you, we've got Bandido, because like everybody brings different things. But I felt for Bandido's style, something that I kind of haven't for the Lucha Brothers in a little while. And again, that's why I believe in Tony Khan's philosophy of if you can make it happen, why not try? Because when it comes off like this, like that, that's why you do it. That's when something delivers it to this degree, that's why you bother. One more thing, and I know you've got loads to bleep and we've gone very long. I'm <laughs> sorry. Just on Bandido and the discourse and who is Bandido and all the rest of it, right? Every single person in that building, whether the new Bandido or not, and I think they did, um, went ballistic for him. They went nuts for him, right? Completely star-making performance, get him signed, all the rest of it. They groaned inwardly and just detached themselves from everything even vaguely hinting at a WWE trope on this show. They didn't get in the Danielson match. They, they hated and fell flat for the women's segment. 
That would indicate to me that, funnily enough, these people want an alternative mm. to WWE. So just please don't do a show like this again. Because not only are you going to annoy me, and that's a subjective, like, you know, we're going to have a little bitch fit about it. <laughs> but you're missing something with your audience if you do a show like this again. It could not have been more stark what they want and what they were given and what they didn't and did react to. Absolutely. Well, let us know your thoughts uh, on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch that you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.